Hello, guys, and welcome to the Kybird Podcast. I'm here to talk about almost all things esports. We're going to start out in a sort of collegiate atmosphere and talk about the progression into getting into the pro leagues nowadays. We're also going to compare it to a lot of what happens in the traditional sports setting and try to talk about the difference between the, the, the traditional sports route into going pro and where esports is currently. Um, so a lot of uh, pro sports, they are you're playing them most of your life and you will go into high school and you're trying to get scouted by colleges. You choose your college almost primarily for that sport. Um and that will eventually transition into you getting noticed by, let's say, a AAA team, AA team, and you will start at the low leagues and build your way up to the pro levels. Um, so sometimes people will get signed directly from college, and so college is that transition straight into the professional scene. However, it doesn't always happen, and there are a lot of sports like the MLB that will have multiple tiers of what's considered professional, um, and those are not always paying enough to make that even the full-time job of these players, um, but they're always on the grind trying to keep up and get into those top leagues. Now, the way esports works, however, um, I come from a background of collegiate esports. I played for four years at Miami University's team, and I run uh, our Counter-Strike program, so I've done a lot of different things and I've worked with a lot of different companies and I've worked with a lot of different schools. Um, and I see their process of picking players and just following the scene in general as a consumer uh, has shown me a lot about how these pro teams are picking players. But being into the college scene, you'd think there'd be some sort of parallel and that's kind of expected right now for the college college scene to parallel going into pro. That's what a lot of teams are setting up for in the college space. Schools are trying to get sponsorships, um, scholarships, all sorts of things to kind of elevate them to that uh, collegiate football, collegiate baseball sort of thing. And they are pulling in students directly to play on their teams. And so this puts us in an interesting space because if we go into the traditional routes, that seems like the right approach. However, the peak for uh, esports athletes is about 18 to 21. And so this causes a huge issue. And the fact that people graduate at the age of 22. So if they're starting degrees in a college and they are at the age of 18, let's say, Unless they have a phenomenal freshman year, they are probably getting worse every year in terms of their peak performance. Now, that does not mean non-peak performance. They can't be in the professional scene. However, that's it's weird because the peak performance for most traditional sports is not in that college age. It is quite a few after. There are very few players who pay, play after the age of 27 in the esports world. And that puts us in a very interesting interesting atmosphere compared to traditional because the life the life uh, uh the length of life for esports hasn't been a long long enough to see how quickly these players are going to be aging out. Um, it's already happening, but that's with the people who started this atmosphere sort of at an older age. Now, the, the Stewie 2Ks of the esports world who blew up and was trying to get signed before he was even 18, finally turns 18, signs with Cloud9, 
and has been doing better and better every year. He's 21 right now, um, 22, give or take. And will he age out as quickly? Um, this has been talked about, and I think a lot of esports athletes would agree that the, the, the peak is 21. Your reflexes are just going to be the best. Your mental health is going to be the best. And it's hard. It's really deteriorating. It's a lot of mental power to keep at that level, keep up with all these 16-year-olds who are coming in. So we talked about how the high school to college to to pro doesn't really work for esports, but how is it working? How are these people getting on teams? And so you'll notice, like I said, Stewie 2K, 16-year-old, everyone's trying to sign him as a player. How do people know about him? Well, with the the cool environment of esports allows these players to to really get noticed by their skill if that makes sense so the really good players the the prodigy players the the top players of country top players of whatever their their time i'll i'll keep going to street 2k because he is the prime example of how he got of how a lot of these people are going up in the scene now um Basically, they they'll they'll start streaming. They'll start playing at high enough levels with pros who do stream, and they get in their matches and they're dominating. People are like, "Whoa, who is this guy? How how is he at this level? Like, how is he hitting those shots?" And he gains a following of himself. And so, when teams are looking for a fifth player, they look at, "Wow, this guy is individually very good. Is he capable of being a team player?" Um, and that decision is always hard. Cloud9 really took a gamble with Stewie 2K and picking him up at the time. Um, but they had such a good roster and they were really able to welcome him into that space. And it turned out to be a great success. Now there's been the same situations with other players. Uh, I'll just go with Sam. Um, Sam was almost in the same boat, got very popular off hitting a lot of highlight reels, doing very good in pugs. But when he got out of the uh, when he got out of the pug scene and got picked up by a pro team, he couldn't compete. He wasn't able to keep up with the tactics of that, and so it's a lot of hit or miss, and it is really risky for these investors in esports, like these teams, to try to try to pick up these players because. They don't get to see what they were like on all these lower level teams. Sometimes people do build up through the through the ESEA rank ladders and um, or league ladders, and they'll play on open, go up to intermediate, go up to main, go up to MDL. So some of the players are moving up from that, but there's a lot of situations where they are not playing their way through, and they're trying to jump up significantly. This is a big risk for organizations on whether or not that player will even be able to be competent at that level. And sometimes you'll have a great success for success story, like to Stewie 2k who has gotten better every year he has played the game. And then you'll have people like some who just couldn't hang and the contract money was lost, um, that the organizations put into him. The, the, um, the time was lost that the organization spent. They lost tournaments um that they were signed up for uh it just also just delays them finding the solid fifth uh you lose one player and your core four isn't really able to do a lot practice wise or anything without using random stand-ins or whatever it causes a lot of problems because 
they don't have that solid five that they're able to work and continue to grow as a group. Now, <clears throat> this isn't all bad, though. A lot of organizations don't try that attempt. A lot of organizations are buying full teams. But to get a top team, it's it's difficult to get those players. Um, there's a lot of roster locks, a lot of contract locks. I know players like Mixwell were on a team, then all of a sudden a shuffle. Cloud9 decides to stop picking up more random players and just pick up ATK, which was a full team that had been playing together and had proven themselves as a team. So these free agents that are stuck in the relatively semi-pro to pro level, it's hard for them to compete with these teams that are able to stick together and grew together. Now, that doesn't mean it's not happening that they're growing together, but it makes a very... It makes it a very interesting space. And college, the collegiate scene is roughly around the same boat here. So the collegiate scene is forced to start off with these five new players, um, except for the few that are able to deliver scholarships. So some teams or some schools, school teams are are filled with people who play together for two years, and they happen to sign all these people to come to the same school, whether they were playing from different colleges already, or if they were playing an ESEA together, or even three guys from one one high-level ESEA team and two more fill-ins. These, these rosters have a lot more impact in the league because they they have played together. They, they have that experience. Same thing parallels for the, the, uh, the pro scene, is that like an MDL team that gets bought out by Cloud9 has played together for all that time and they don't have to deal with this the chance of this solo player who has only played by himself not performing to the level they should so the a lot of what these college teams are doing are running some sort of tryouts this is what we do at miami and we pull in all these people and if it's a fresh fresh esport i will say this applies to any esport the fresh esport then they are trying to pick the five six most talented people and put them on a team together and a lot of the people we have try out a lot of the people at other schools we have tried out don't have league experience um so they are going in almost looking at their their pug stats looking at how they can perform in a couple tryout matches and it makes it a very interesting space for for development and a lot of teams are on a different levels because of this. And so fortunately at Miami, we've been able to keep a core core couple players together and we've never had to have that fresh roster. So we've had people who have played, I've played on the team for four years. We've had people playing for three, two years um, and that will continue to play. And as long as we can keep that player base going, it, it, we can we can maintain the like the composure of a formal team. However, every time we're pulling in a new guy who's uh, some pugger who we don't know anything about in terms of team play, but he has good stats on ESEA and face it, it's really hard to tell what kind of performance we're going to have. And fortunately, this year at Miami, we're actually able to have two teams, which allows us to trial 10 people as opposed to really trialing the the five that we end up selecting and it allows for movement and um it just creates an environment that promotes growth 
among our peers. We have a team that keeps us accountable and makes us want to stay on varsity because obviously it's a little bit of competition, but it's for the betterment of Miami. And if we have someone in varsity who can't play at that level that we ended up gambling on and it didn't work out, we can pull up someone from JV and have that player go back down to JV, the original player, and he can learn from that. So that's another thing that a lot of these pro teams don't have. A lot of them are having academy teams, but they don't really directly parallel as, as close. They're almost a completely separate unit of like an amateur team. So like, let's say Navi's academy team, they're not switching between electronic and whoever's on their academy team. I can't even think of their names. They're not switching out their players off on the off chance something bad happens or they're not pulling in new players even and from their JV team. Like they're not using their academy team, I mean, to try out their new teams. So I think that's something that the collegiate scene has that they can do in a lot of the big schools will have enough for multiple teams and it allows them to build together and kind of avoid that this the the scaredness that a lot of the orgs have picking up so solo players. Um because every year you you can pick 10 people as opposed to locking in the five. It's really hard for Cloud9 to do that same thing. Um, but yeah, so the team experience and everything, the, the pro scene and the college scene work a lot together. And they like a lot of the things are similar. However, there is just a big divide. The, the road to pro looks a lot different in a sports setting than it does here. And the 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 risks and team picking and setting things up the structure is just so much different in the collegiate space which has its pros and cons but the collegiate scene unfortunately isn't setting the players up to be pro like the uh, the traditional sports way is and it's not really the scene's fault it's just an interesting space i know people at Gen G are attempting to do the high school league and they're trying to focus on teaching high schoolers these skills getting them trained which is a very interesting concept compared to how the 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 college scene does it obviously they're saying go in right at 16 figure out if you can do esports if you can you can go pro right then and there don't even worry about college high school for for traditional sports you don't really have that route. You're not going to get signed from high school onto onto the Cincinnati Reds. It's just not not how that would ever work. Um, Colleges is where the the pro teams are recruiting. But Jinji is actually trying to bypass that step for eSports and saying, don't try the college thing, try the high school thing. Now, I'm not not here trying to diss on collegiate eSports by any means. I think it is a fantastic thing, and I think there's a great market for it. I think it plays off rivals of other schools very well. And I think it is great for a school to have a program and get people involved in the already popular industry. It's great to have people who are supporting their school. Lots of people tune into the stream, streams of these games, and cheer on their school. I think that's a great thing to have. It just can't be directly paralleled with sports, and um, it can't be paralleled with the pro scene of esports either. 
it's a, it's a different space. It's definitely needed um, by a lot of schools because there's less and less people going to like football games, um, whatever. And this kind of touches with where the generation's at and gets a lot of interest, but you just have to treat it as a different space. And some of this may eventually prolong where we figure out that most people don't age out of esports as quickly as we thought. The people are growing up playing these games their entire lives. They, they might have longer endurance to play a game like this. However, it is currently not there. There's a lot of concern on on how long it'll how long it'll last for these people. And so maybe college can be the start point one day. I just do not think it is currently there. I've talked with a lot of people on that. I've talked with a lot of organizations on that, and a lot of pro players have gone out and said that um, that the age of 21 is almost too old to get into it. So I really like the scene and I, I think it's great for what it is, but there's a clear difference between the two. And I think that's important and not, you should not lose focus on that when trying to get involved in either of these. But I want to say thank you for tuning into my podcast. This is Kybrid and I hope you learned a thing or two and I will talk to you guys later.